0: Welcome to Gov Innovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our focus today is an innovative nursing-led intervention targeting older adults, the transitional care model that improves outcomes for chronically ill older people while also saving money. Our guest is Mary Naylor of the University of Pennsylvania. Here's a clip.
1: I am a great example on our team of um, a group that I guess it was about, after three NIH-funded clinical trials, all published in the right places with a great deal of press, wondered, what is it? Uh, Because we saw very little uptake. And that is when we began to pursue the path of working directly with health systems, with communities, with payers, to figure out how it is that we could demonstrate that it not only worked in the clinical trials, but it works in the real world.
0: In the U.S., more than a third of elderly patients discharged from hospitals are readmitted within 90 days, often needlessly. An intervention that's helping to change that is the transitional care model or TCM. It was pioneered at the University of Pennsylvania. It's been the focus of four large-scale NIH-funded clinical trials, including three RCTs, all finding consistent positive health and economic effects. That includes reduced rehospitalization and reduced health care expenditures, savings in fact that are equivalent to about $10 billion if the approach were implemented nationwide. Today, TCM is being used in a range of health systems in the U.S., although data suggests that the model's uptake is sporadic and slow relative to its promise. To learn more, we're joined by the principal investigator of this research, Mary Naylor. She's a professor of gerontology and the director of the New Cortland Center for Transitions and Health at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Mary, welcome.
1: Thank you, Andy. Delighted to be here.
0: Give us an overview, Mary, if you would, about the key elements of the transitional care model.
1: Well, perhaps I can do that best by describing to you what happens to a patient. Um, A patient comes into the emergency room or into the intensive care unit and we identify them as at high risk for poor outcomes. They've had multiple hospitalizations before and so we know if, if we don't do something different that pattern will continue. An advanced practice nurse, master's prepared nurse, is deployed immediately to begin to work with the patient, their families to figure out what it is that they want to achieve. Uh, that same nurse works with the team while the patient's hospitalized to try to help uh, figure out how to get to a simplified plan of care, take multiple medications um, that they're traditionally on and get them down to many fewer. Uh, That same nurse follows the patient into their home and is there within 24 hours to enable them to understand how it is that the things that often go wrong right after someone leaves the hospital can be prevented. And we'll continue to follow them. Um, We'll go on the first visit uh, with them to their clinician, follow-up clinician, in order to be able to help patients and families understand how to make the most of a very short time uh, with their follow-up nurse practitioners or physicians. And uh, ultimately is responsible for both delivering and managing care through this acute episode. So the, the key elements are it's about Uh, trust, continuity, um, and having um, positioning patients and families with the knowledge and skills and access to resources that they need in order to make sure things don't go wrong.
0: And once patients are discharged from the hospital and are at home, how frequent are the nurse visits?
1: It's at least once a week um, during the first month um, every other week but it is also seven day per week availability by telephone um, so that if any issues or concerns arise uh, the nurses can be deployed immediately uh, make a home visit and in doing so uh, take full advantage of the opportunity to prevent uh, a simple problem from becoming much more complex.
0: That makes sense. I know the research has noted that the intervention can help different groups of older patients uh, that are released from the hospital in different ways. Tell us more about that.
1: Yes. Uh, We we end up with two groups of people that we've, uh, and this is a simplification, but we end up with people, for example, who are very complex, multiple health and social risks, but for whom we have not made the investment in their care in order to enable them to be able to better manage their chronic illness, you know, so uh, we're not going to have healthcare clinicians in people's home 24-7. Uh, we, we need to rely on patients and family caregivers. And we, we figured out that there are whole groups of people that we just haven't made the right investment. They didn't know how to early identify their symptoms. They didn't know what to do when symptoms appeared. And so these are the challenges and issues that we focused on. But we also ended up with a second group who were uh, near end of life. If, you know, for whom there had not been a trusting relationship built to be able to enable them to think about, well, if I could make other choices about the kinds of services that I would have available to me, about the quality of life that I want to enjoy, uh, maybe I would choose palliative or hospice services. And so one of the other benefits of this approach, grounded in continuity, grounded in a trusting relationship, using the same nurse Um, throughout the experience enables people often to make those choices, and so we have seen in our work earlier decisions to access, for example, hospice services.
0: So it's filling gaps in care for some, and informing people about their care options as well. Mary, tell us next about the research findings.
1: So one one study that I'd like to highlight is uh, where we focused on older adults with heart failure. And heart failure is important because it is the main reason for hospitalizations and rehospitalizations of Medicare beneficiaries. In that study. Uh, We were able to demonstrate uh, reductions in all-cause readmissions that extended for one year following the discharge, index discharge, of the sample we enrolled compared to a control group. And that resulted in um, estimated savings for the Medicare program of $5,000 per beneficiary.
0: And Mary, beyond the statistics about health indicators and cost, did you also track satisfaction levels? Were patients in the TCM happier with the care they were getting?
1: Uh, that's been a big contribution, I think, of ours, and, and particularly as we are increasingly paying attention to what people tell us matters to them. So we've consistently assessed patients' experience with care, and in some of our studies with family caregivers' experience with care uh, using this model relative to others. And again, a consistent finding has been uh, people feel much better, much safer, that someone's in charge. Anxiety is reduced. So overall improvements in patients' experience with care with the transitional care model.
0: It's interesting to note that the research didn't find effects on mortality. We often think of a lack of a positive effect as something that's bad. But am I right, Mary, that another way to look at this is that this intervention was able to reduce hospital readmissions, reduce healthcare expenditures, to do all that without any increase in mortality.
1: That is exactly right. We have seen no differences in mortality. It's important and we track very carefully um, patients who die um, in our work, um, not just in our clinical trials, but now in our work to translate this intervention into practice. And what we have Consistently seen, we're picking up people at very high risk for poor outcomes. Uh, many of those individuals uh, die while hospitalized or uh, very soon after hospital discharge. So I think that that is one of the reasons that we're not seeing uh, differences in mortality. What we're seeing then is differences among those um, high-risk people who are not near, um, very close to death. Uh, the differences that I've described.
0: So, Mary, I want to end with a broader note about implementing evidence-based innovation and the challenges involved. The TCM is a leading example, I think, of an intervention with rigorous evidence behind it that it works. And yet it's been slow, I would say, or at least slower than we might hope to spread across health systems. The reality is, I think, that even with strong evidence, it takes a lot of work to get evidence-based innovations known and into practice. And that has been your experience as well. Am I right?
1: Um, I am a great example on our team of um, a group that I guess it was about after three NIH-funded clinical trials, all published in the right places with a great deal of press, wondered, what is it? Uh, because we saw very little uptake and that is when we began to pursue the path of working directly with health systems, with communities, with payers, to figure out how it is that we could demonstrate that it not only worked in the clinical trials, but it works in the real world. We were able to replicate the clinical and economic outcomes. That being said, this process needs to be accelerated. We need to figure out strategies that enable policymakers uh, to quickly see when you have evidence that aligns with the changing needs of a Medicare population that is growing substantially over the next couple of decades, uh, we need to figure out better paths to move it much more quickly for adoption.
0: We'll end on that important note. Mary Naylor, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Andy. I am very excited to have been part of this conversation.